Hello and welcome to Lore Watch Roundtable, freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers over on Blizzard Watch, and I've got both my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's also a lore aficionado and a lore writer over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everyone. How you doing? I never know how to answer that question. I saw Captain Marvel. It was pretty good. Oh, did you? I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go see it, honestly. It's like, can I afford the movie ticket? Uh, I don't know. Um, A friend of mine has a lot of scene points, so he he took me along. So I didn't actually pay for it. Regal put a free small popcorn on my rewards card, which was great and everything, but that's not the expensive part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I and had you... to pay for it, I probably wouldn't have gone either, just because money is tight. But as it was a good movie. Was, as long as it was good, yeah. I mean, it looks great. The trailer was I fantastic. Still, I still kind of like Aquaman better, but that's like a, it, it's sort of a, they're pretty much the same kind of thing, so it didn't really... It's just uh, I like the oh, water scenes Marvel better, versus DC but... or whatever, but yeah, yeah I get they're it. They're both I, I they're both kind of like you know movies where you do a lot of the scenes are in a place other than just you know normal place. And it, it, I liked them; they were both good. Um, a lot of the I think there's a stronger cast for Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. um, generally speaking. Uh, but it's kind of hard to beat a movie where Jason Momoa is allowed to Jason Momoa for two hours. Yeah, uh, true. So, I'm going so to interrupt. Sort of, I'm going to interrupt yeah, go you for a second so I can introduce our other co-host because he piped up with an mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> also with us, another lore aficionado. <laughs> that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hey, <laughs> How everybody. are you doing? Uh, really, really good. I had a really fantastic weekend so far. It was my niece's first birthday, so we got to celebrate that. And Aww. it also marked the first time in my entire life that me and all six of my siblings were in the same room together. So it was uh, kind of a momentous occasion. And I also got to see Captain Marvel afterwards, which, you know, I agree with Rossi. It was really, really, really dang good. Wait, didn't you guys all grow up together or no? No. Or was uh, there like a big age spread? There's a big age spread. So, like, I have three older sisters that are, like, plus 10 to 15 years on me. Okay, gotcha. So, gotcha. And then my, my, our youngest just turned 18. So Yeah, I've got a couple of half-siblings that are, like, well over 20 years older than I am. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we talk every now and again, we'll text every now and again, but we were never like, they never lived with us. Because by the time my mom had us, they were already like way out of the house and gone. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um. Anyway, so Lore Watch today, a couple of things to note. We're not going to be talking about 8.1.5 because this is the Sunday before the patch that we're recording this show. So we don't really want to throw spoiler content out there immediately for the people that are picking this up on Patreon. By the way, if you weren't aware, if you decide to go ahead and support the show via Patreon, you do get access to it a week early. That's why sometimes there's a little bit of a time discrepancy going on. And that's why the show releases every other week. Regardless, um, Next episode, we will be talking about 8.1.5, so keep that in mind when you're listening to this one. If you have any questions about story elements or anything that popped up when 8.1.5 dropped, you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure to put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show, and we'll see if we can get to a couple of them next time, but honestly, we're probably going to be gushing about story. Regardless, send your questions in. We do like those. Um, Speaking of emails, we've got a whole mess of them today, so I'm just going to jump into those. Uh, first one is from Tuckfin, who says, Hey guys, Tuckfin here. Just ran Nagsramus, and I noticed we didn't destroy 
his vase thingy that allows him to return back to life. Now, I'm presuming that he's talking about Kalthazad here because that's the only guy that's got the little phylactery vase thingy. He says, Does this mean we will see him return once again? If so, do you think Bolvar will use him for good, or does he even control him at this point? Thanks, Tuckfin. That's an excellent question, and that's one of those questions that kind of lingered after Naxxramas, like the second time that I... When when you do Naxxramas in... in um, oh, gosh... Vanilla. When you did Naxxramas in Vanilla, you got his phylactery and you actually took it to Light's Hope Chapel and you gave it to somebody who turned out to be a bad guy. And that was kind of the impetus for Naxxramas making a return in Wrath of the Lich King. But when we were doing it in Wrath, I noticed that we didn't shatter the thing or even do anything with it really at the end of that. Um, I don't know. You guys got any thoughts on this? That I was remember. Father Inigo Montoy, wasn't it? Like, I remember yeah, that. Well, being... Okay. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, it's one of the funny things about when you did it in Classic, because I got to do it in Classic, was that there's text on the phylactery when you get the quest to turn it in. There's text like, your better judgment dictates that you destroy it, but you don't listen to that internal voice of reason. Something like, um, I'm trying to remember exactly how this goes. Oh, it was like, your better judgment dictates you destroy the phylactery to stop the lich from ever coming back, but Thankfully, you don't listen to that voice of reason. Someone's going to pay a lot for this sort of thing. And then you go and you take it in to, to Inigo Montoy. And he actually is like drooling when you give it to him. He's like, oh, you will be rewarded. Give it to me now. And you're like, oh, sure. Here you go. You 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 uh, you just hand me over that sweet at the time best trinket in the game. And uh, I'll, I'll give you this this phylactery. And then, of course, as soon as we get to Wrath, you know, Father Inigo Montoy, the guy that gave you the best trinket in the game, Turns out to have taken the phylactery, regenerated Kel'Thuzad with it, and then got himself turned into a lich, as a, which is what he wanted, because uh, he was Kel'Thuzad's son, if I remember correctly. Is, if, am I correct about that one? I'm pretty sure I am. I don't remember if he was Kel'Thuzad's son or not, but you've got the rest of the story down pretty pat. Now, the question is, though, at the end of Naxxramas in Wrath, we didn't do anything with it, did we? No, it's not there. He doesn't drop it. Oh, so where is it? Straight up doesn't drop it. We don't know the answer to that question. You guys got any like, theories? Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure, like, the phylactery looked like his hat. Like, remember the hat he used to wear? Yeah, it did. Yeah. The phylactery looked like his hat. So I'm pretty sure, like, if somebody got his hat, didn't his hat turn into a fist weapon a second time? Like, isn't Calamity's grass basically his hat? I don't think I so. Know? It's a giant thought... spinning death wheel of pink. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it wasn't his hat. I don't know. I just, I think that it's out there and someday he'll come back. And when he does, he is not going to do what Belvar says. Cause he wasn't obeying the Lich King at the end because he was being compelled to, he was obeying him because the Lich King had shown him how powerful he was and he didn't see any purpose to fighting him. Does that mean, you know what I mean? Like the yeah, yeah, when, when you're fighting against somebody who can unmake you basically. Yeah. But Bolvar doesn't have the level of expertise, or at least he might not that, uh, you know, at the time, Arthas had. You know, Arthas had spent years mastering it. Although at this point, Bolvar has two, so I'm not sure where he'd go. I'm not sure where he'd fall in. He, he probably wouldn't approve of what Bolvar's up to, unless Bolvar's up to stuff we don't understand. And Bolvar's been really busy. He was real busy in Legion, so I don't. Know, he might be like, you know, 
I will rebel against you. Well, my plan is to convert everyone into living zombies. Oh, hey, no, I'm okay. I'm down. Never mind. <laughs> that that works for me. Sure. Yeah. Turn everyone into them dead. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. You know, I don't. Oh, so you I don't too. Know. Okay, cool. I'm done yeah. with that. Let's team up and work together. Yeah, this no. is a great oh. plan. I'm glad. I'm glad we met. I didn't think I was gonna like you, but that is a solid plan you have. So yeah, I don't know. I think he's coming back, and I think it's gonna be bad news for everybody. Yeah, and I'm I'm in that camp too because I, I we talked about this uh, over several episodes where I don't think things are done in Northrend by a long shot. We talked about it, in, uh, especially no. with yeah. Legion and. Even now, like with the stuff that's in game currently, if you've done like the Vulgen questing stuff and you've gone to different places, like Olvar ain't happy to see you when you go talk with him, and he's he's busy, he's doing stuff. Like he's not to mention the weird undead dragon that's just sort of hanging out by the corpse of Dalen Proudmore for some reason. I mean, let's let's not call it a weird one. I'm I'm pretty sure it's there purposely. Like, we yeah. Talked about that before. But like he's active, and so I don't think we've seen the last of any of the liches that have their flackerties sort of just out in the wild, right? Like if they're not destroyed yet, and we don't have confirmation that they're destroyed, we're probably going to see them again. At the very least, if they're not compelled to like work for the Lich King, uh, Bolvar as he is, because he's either a not powerful enough, or b they don't fear him, they're still going to be active agents in the world, and they're still powerful in their own right. So who knows what they're doing? or what they could be doing behind the scenes. So for all we know. Yeah. Go ahead. I just, it should be pointed out that, that Bolvar is up to the power level where he can just compel the Lich that worked in the, uh, Ebon hold to do what he wanted without Mm -hmm. even asking first. Like he didn't, he's like, Oh yeah, the Lich King totally wanted me to build this device. So I did like the, and then now he's got the whole, he's got the four horsemen working for him directly, including, uh, Darian Mograin. I don't mm-hmm. think power is a problem for him anymore. If anything, he's stronger than Arthas was. Yeah, the question that I have is whether or not his uh, humanity is starting to strip away, and like how much of yeah. how much of it is becoming more Lich King, less Bolvar. I should point out that I, I went and looked it up while you guys were talking about Inigo Montoy being uh, Kelthuzad's son, and that's based on the fact that he's named Inigo Montoy as a reference to Inigo Montoya. Yeah, because he and, does say, "My yeah. name is Anigo." Yeah, he he. I think his coin says, "I want my yes. father back," which is like a yes. reference to the Princess Bride. So it's not it's not canon in the game yet, and I, that should be pointed out. It's not canon at this moment in time that he is Kalthuzad's son. That's just a fan theory based on that. So I didn't want people to like be like, "That doesn't say anywhere." You know, you're right; it doesn't. Just, but yeah, I, I definitely think it isn't just Kalthuzad who could come back, but Kalthuzad could definitely come back and. It would be kind of cool if he came back and started some kind of weird splinter faction of liches and guys who were like, no, we're, we're the more pure undead. You, you guys are messing it up. You guys aren't doing it right. We're going to handle this. It definitely would be interesting. But I, he, for that matter, he could very well work for the new Lich King just as well. Because, you know, he's worked for two Lich Kings so far. Uh, he's, he worked for the original Lich King and then he worked for Arthas when Arthas seized control. So it wouldn't be that much of a stretch for him to work for Bolvar either, as long as Bolvar was doing stuff that he agreed with. And he's all about necromancy. Well, the other, so. the other option too, is like, he might also be present to, you know, maybe subtly push Bolvar in certain directions as well. Like, you know, that's not outside the realm of possibilities either. Where it's like, you know, Hey, look, I worked for the last two things. Didn't work out so well for me, but you, 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 you got a good head on your shoulders. You got a, you got a tactical mind. I could totally help you. What if we did this? And like, kind of like subtly pull out the strings of corruption. I could see that happening too. So I guess my question is, if we didn't encounter the phylactery, 
in the current iteration of Naxxramas, and we didn't. You're right, we didn't. Where do we think that's at? And can a lich move independently of his phylactery? Or, like, I mean, does somebody need to have the phylactery to have control over the lich? Or is is it just the phylactery could be anywhere, stuffed anywhere, sort of like a horcrux or what have you? Depends on if we're following D&D rules or not. If we're following D&D rules, <laughs> and the, the, the phylactery can be wherever and the lich can be wherever. And it's not necessarily ownership of the uh, phylactery gives control. It's the threat of, listen, I have your thing. I will destroy it. And then you're just donezo. How's that sound? That sort of is like the compelling factor there. Uh, but, you know, if it's their own thing, who knows? Like, we have no idea. Yeah, we don't really know, like, how they work in WoW that well. It's never really been stated. This is exactly how they work. This is the rules. And um, we really have no idea what Montoy did with it once you gave it we to We know, him. though, we do know that they don't need to have it on them because there was that lich that we dealt with in the Netherstorm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. His phylactery wasn't anywhere near him. Like, you had to go find it. And he showed up when you attacked it, but he wasn't, he wasn't hanging around it. He doesn't have to, you know, they can often hide it. Um, they could give it to other creatures to guard. I mean, to a certain degree, I mean, the first time when we, we killed him and got his phylactery, he did have it with a creature to guard. He had the you know, saffron out in front guarding him and his phylactery. Uh, so, you know, who knows? I, I don't know where it is. I think it would be interesting if he had like figured out, okay, if I put this thing in the twisting nether, then nobody can get to it. That would be kind of interesting. But... He just gave it to the bread vendor in Iron Forge, that nice dwarf lady. She's got flowers in it right now. Or Has the no idea dwarf. what it is. <laughs> no, the apple vendor in in Shatrath, the one that ticked off that is an ogre and orc, the one who's just constantly yelling, I will crush you, apple vendor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Crow. Yeah, Crow thread strong was his name. Yeah, Crow's just carrying it around. He has no idea. Or Granny, Granny Smith has it. She's just like, "Eh, what a nice little thing, you know. I don't know. Uh, All right, well, that doesn't really clear anything up. But honestly, we don't really have anything to clear that up with. Uh, Regardless, thanks for the email, Tuckfin. Next email is from Norcrosis of Coriel Straws, who says, "Hello, Blizzard Watch." I was listening to an earlier lore watch, and someone made a claim that Sylvanas's blight was originally made to kill a person and make them forsaken. It was kind of implied that it hadn't worked so far. I think that there's a small chance there might have been one instance it worked as intended, Bolvar. The red dragonflight's breath burned away the blight, but the result was that Bolvar was made into an undead but not scourged thing. Sylvanas saw that the Lich King was dead and saw Bolvar atop the throne. Eventually, she would have had to logically come to the conclusion that Bolvar was reanimated in a way that made him trustworthy enough to be made lich king she's a smart cookie my questions are this do you think the red's dragon breath plus blight equals forsaken supposing the answer is yes do you think sylvanas would have the reds even alex draza in her plans for the future i know brid and brad questline has solid evidence that this probably isn't the case but i thought it was interesting enough to hear you guys' thoughts thanks norcrosis you're you're right i don't think that really it was the blight that had anything to do with what happened to Bolvar? I think it was purely the the flame of the red dragon. Because the reason that the red dragons flew over there was to torch the place and get rid of the plague. Yeah, I mean that seemed to be the implication. I'm I'm assuming that that's when they torched the place. It got rid of the plague cloud that was on the ground. Rossi, do you or Joe? Yeah, that is what happened. I was just I was shutting up because sometimes I talk ways Joe's going to talk, and I was trying not to do that this time. <laughs> <laughs> But no, he just sat there. I'm like, nah. anyway. Because I was uh, trying to do the yes. same thing. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but... Well, one of you needs to talk. <laughs> um, basically, yes, that is what happened. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually answer this with a different question because I think we're kind of. What makes you think intelligent undead equals Forsaken? Just because Sylvanas and her faction call themselves the Forsaken, that doesn't mean you're automatically a Forsaken or in the Scourge. The, the, the Forsaken is just a group of of undead that have somewhat control of their own wills and who serve a particular leader. That's not the default state for undead that aren't in the scourge. They banded, yeah, they banded together under Sylvanas, but not everybody necessarily banded well, together under Sylvanas. There could be dudes out there working on their own independently of scourge or Forsaken. There's actually we know there are some undead that are mm-hmm. not in either group. I mean, there's night elf undead that go back. 10 15,000 years that have never been, they're not in the scourge they're not in the forsaken they're not even related to the plague but they're undead they're out there um no i'm talking undead. about undead that have been hit with the plague there's undead who've been hit by the plague and who aren't in either group either and there are some that yeah. have been in, in one or both of those groups um the one that works for light's hope comes to mind um leonid bartholomew is that his name i can't remember his name but the one that's like he's almost revered by the uh by the argent crusade yeah, he's he's um he was in the Forsaken and now he's not. There's just because Bolvar isn't a, a mindless undead doesn't mean he's ever been anything to do with the Forsaken. He's never worked for Sylvanas, and I I think his undead state is a combination of factors. I do think the plague had something to do with it because when he got the he was being hit by the plague, the red dragons came down and breathed the fire, and he makes the point it was there you know the combination of the two that turned him into that thing, but. Arthas wasn't uninvolved in that. Arthas grabbed him up. Arthas had him and was trying to break him inside Ice Crown Citadel the whole time. I mean, when we go, when you go to fight Arthas, oh yeah, he's chained up. Yeah, he's chained up above the the Frozen Throne. I mean, you and get a vision of it in Yogg-Saron's brain room. Yeah, and that's always interested me because here's the thing: Why did Arthas do that? What was he doing there? Why Bolvar? Like he didn't. Yeah, what he didn't need Bolvar to do anything for him, and if he—it's not like—and if he was a scourge, he would have had control over him. Yeah, but he didn't do that. He was trying to break him. He wanted to break him and make him loyal, not just turn him into a mindless servant. And I keep coming back to this when we look at what Arthas did, because Arthas was—you know—from the from the very first trailer for for Wrath of Lich King before the expansion ever came out, the young heroes. I was just like you, speech. I've always said it. Everything Arthas does is about justification. Oh yeah, and, and you oh, yeah, from Chron- the very beginning, yeah. And you read Chronicle, and you see like Arthas is in his own way. He still thinks like he's a paladin. He still thinks like the the prince who wanted to protect his people. Like he thinks what I'm doing will protect Azeroth. If the threats out there are too great, I'm going to save the world. I just happen to have to turn everybody into an undead to do it. That that's like one of the things he's thinking. I'm going to make this army of conquering undead and take over the world and make everyone like me because that's the only way I can save the world. So what's he doing with Bolvar? Does he see Bolvar as a brother? I mean, they're both paladins and they've both been turned into these things. Is Bolvar the ultimate test, really? Because Bolvar, even in Undeath, was resistant to the same thing that corrupted Arthas so thoroughly. It was like Bolvar was living and or unliving well, proof that maybe Arthas's, maybe the path that Arthas took wasn't the only inevitable path available. 
I don't know about that, though, because the corruption of Arthas is a whole other thing where, like, it yeah. started before he was ever undead, right? It started before he ever had Frostmourne. It started way beyond that, and it was it was sort of, like, playing off of his personality. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I, I, I agree Here's with that. Here's the thing, though. Up until Arthas put his hand on Frostmourne, he could have stopped at any time. His soul was still his own. He and was he still didn't. a living man. It's only when he he wouldn't back down and took up the sword. That's the moment where he died. That's the moment where there is no possible redemption for him at that point because his soul has been taken out of his body. His soul was taken out of his body by the sword, not the helmet. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is like he's always kind of justified. And throughout Wrath of the Lich King, he was trying to justify that whole thing where it was like, this was my destiny. There was no other recourse. There was nothing else I could yeah. do. And, and you'll do the same thing. Yeah. Young heroes, I was once like you. But You're Bolvar... going to do the same thing is outside of that and I feel like maybe that's why he was so gung-ho about wanting to corrupt Bolvar because he wanted to prove his point see the thing is I'm trying to look at this from his perspective I don't think he thought he was trying to corrupt Bolvar I don't think there's any point where Arthas thought I'm the cackling evil villain here like some of them do like some wild villains no it was more like he was trying to make Bolvar see reason Mm -hmm. yeah he's like he's in his way from the moment he goes to Stratholme and he's like going to burn the city and, and, you know, uh, Uther is like, I won't help you with this. This is insanity. You're not my King. And I wouldn't follow that order. Even if you were, he turns to Jaina and goes, Jaina, there's that moment where he's like, please, like, it doesn't actually say please, but he's like, Jaina, you know, you are, do I have you? Will you help me back me up there, here? <laughs> he's been, he never stopped looking for it. Kel'Thuzad became that for him for a while. Then Anubarak became that for him for a while, but neither of them could really be it because they served him. So he keeps looking for it. And I think that's what he, I think in his way, he was grooming Bolvar to take his place. This is what, remember we talked like, I think it was the last time we did the show. We talked about the whole thing about there must always be a Lich King. And why would you say that? Yeah. Uther, Uther wouldn't say it, but Arthas would. Or the Lich King would, or whatever entity the Lich is King in that play. As Arthas, Arthas as the Lich King, that you know, whatever combination of beings you got going, but but I I seriously think that the Arthas mentality that he had when he became the Lich King, the idea that this was all necessary, is important. Mm-hmm. And I think that it has a lot to do with Bolvar. Bolvar is better at doing what's necessary than Arthas. Oh yeah, because he's a general, right? Like he's oh, yeah. he's he's used to that sort of like this is the goal, this is what I need to do to get there. Here's what here's what my acceptable sacrifices are, and he's a lot more logical about it. Arthas was always yeah. a very emotional person, right? Arthas like, was a hero, and he yep. was a prince. Yep. He, he he never had to be king, and he never had to lead troops up until suddenly it was thrust upon him. But if you look at Harold Wormbane who's another example of a paladin who is also a war leader. You look at the kind of mentality they get where they don't forget what they are and they don't forget what they do, but they keep it like, you know, there's no, you know, if you don't win, you don't have anything. So Harold Wormbane will use deception. He'll plant bombs on, on poured ships and, and he will make them think there's going to be a direct attack and then blow up those bombs and take out half the fleet in one go. He'll do that. He'll, He'll use a gorilla that, you know, an intelligent gorilla as a weapon. It's it, These things are strange, but he'll do them. That's the kind of thing that, that Arthas was. Arthas was into grandiose sweeping things that proved his point. And 
Bolvar feels like the point is proved when the victory is had. Yeah, it's it's theatrics it's, versus practicality. It's the ends justifying the means. Yeah, and I think I, I find myself wondering, like, did Arthas's plan fail on top of that on the top of that pinnacle? So I because I've often thought Arthas about had that a fixation. Too. Yeah, Arthas had a fixation on two people in that expansion: Tyrion Fordring, and then Bolvar Fordragon. Mm-hmm. Like, and Tyrion, you saw it. Two paladins, to- even. And who were on top of the? You know, they were on top of the keep with him at that final moment. One of those two people was going to put on the hat. Oh, jeez. It's like he put up... Mm, it's like yeah. he made a deliberate endgame for himself where it was like, okay, are you guys going to get the good ending or the bad ending? <laughs> well, and, and I think there's some merit to that, but I also think there is also a level of he accomplished his part of it, right? Like, he knew where his end was. And I think possibly, and this is just like reading the book and, and, and things like that, there are all these moments of doubt as well and like moments where he felt like it was weakness. And maybe, just maybe, he was setting himself up to be defeated all along because he knew he couldn't hold on to things like he needed to. He ripped Whereas out his own heart. He did. And who destroyed it? Tyrion, without even thinking mm-hmm. about it. Like, Tyrion didn't even think about the fact that, oh, maybe we could take this and we could see if there's some way to... Oh, my gosh. Oh, but, my gosh. Yeah. It No, it was just like Stratholm. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Okay, because, like, when they were at Stratholm, Jaina was telling Arthas, look, we just need time to figure out some way to... And he his argument was, we don't have time. We need to act now. And Tyrion almost demonstrated the exact same thing when he just ran the heart through instead of thinking about the fact that maybe if I took this back to the Kirin Tor, there would be some way to do something here. And when Bolvar is the Lich King years later and Tyrion Fordring dies, what does Bolvar try and do? Bring him back as, as a horseman. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's There's a play around these characters. I don't think... The idea that the Lich King is more than the sum of his parts is starting to occur to me more and more as we talk about this stuff. And I think one of the things that's, that we're seeing is that Bolvar isn't just Bolvar. Mm-hmm. And he's more than Arthas was. Well, it's Arthas was Lich more King than keeps... just Arthas. It's, it's like the Lich King is its own entity, which is something I've kind but of like adds, been yeah, but playing with adds. since yep. Wrath. Like since Wrath, I had this theory that yeah. the Lich King was just its own entity, and it used these other you know people as pawns in whatever it was doing. Imagine if I, it's more than just using them as pawns. What if it's adding them to itself? I, I, I yeah, it I was gonna say off... I, I don't think it's pawns. I think it's learning. Like making it's a like... deposit. Yeah, like it starts off, it's it's got near it's they you know um Kel, not Keltuzad kill Jaden rips Nerzul apart puts him through hell bonds him to the armor and sticks him in an ice cube and throws him on Azeroth. Now it's the Lich King entity, whatever it is, is dependent on what Nerzul knows, what Nerzul thinks, and Nerzul knows pain and yep. thinks rage. Yep. But that's not going to win it for it. So it looks for a servant, finds somebody who is morally. Pure. I'm going to just say it. Arthas was morally pure before it got there. Mm-hmm. And, but he's got weaknesses. He's got flaws. Flaws that it can exploit. But he's also got things it can learn. Nerzul, by the time he became the Lich King, had completely lost anything like certainty. He didn't have... When he, when he started 
back in, before the you know the horde was even formed when he became the instrument of kill Jaden's revenge he, he he was broken he he became doubtful he didn't trust himself anymore arthas brought the ability to act so it it took arthas in arthas eventually goes up the, walks up there grabs that sword puts so, on that helmet and becomes the lich king here, now it's got arthas now here, but that's not enough either here's here's a thought and, and this is something we talked about a little bit before but we still don't know where the idea or the like what truly is the base entity of the Lich King. And all of this seems like it's something that isn't used to being in the living world, trying to understand the strength of the living world. Yeah. My theory has always been that it's whatever made the I deal mean, with the, the entirety. Yeah, like, the, I'm, in that, I'm the on that entirety, same thing. The entirety of Wrath of the Lich King was basically that. I mean, when we played through Wrath of the Lich King, it was Arthas throwing tests at us and seeing just how strong we were going to be. He let us do that ridiculous um, carnival, not carnival, coliseum tournament. Tournament, tournament thing and fight each other and didn't bother showing up until the end when the strongest were still standing and didn't bother to attack us there, didn't bother to do anything there, just sent us down to confront Anubarak as like another test. He was just kind of like that. That's that was his mo. It, it all comes down to that speech at the end of the Wrath of the Lich King, the one that you were talking about, Rossi, where he says, you know, I was once hero, a hero like you, that kind of thing. Um, and he reveals that pretty much his grand plan was he was going to find the strongest alliance and horde heroes out there by basically pitting us against each other and also pitting us against him in a way until we got to Ice Crown Citadel and then he was going to kill us all and raise us as the most powerful army he could possibly bring together. So it was like all of Wrath was just a series of observation that the Lich King was making about all of us. And I mean, Yeah, but what if that's actually still what's happening? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering that. And I'm also wondering, because I, I find it curious. I mean, you mentioned that there was the whole paladin thing where there were two paladins up there. There was Tyrion. There was Bolvar. Tyrion didn't put the hat on. Tyrion died later. What did Bolvar, a.k.a. the Lich King, do? He went to go try and raise him. So there's this interesting dichotomy going on where it almost reminds me of the Naru in a way where there's a light cycle you have the paladins and then there's the dark cycle where you have them come back and it all goes back to that whole there yeah. can't be one without the other you know what i'm talking about yes but you said something like i think four weeks ago that just hit me in the face mm-hmm. the valkyr that are serving sylvanas were the lich kings yes they were what if he needs to understand how sylvanas thinks to add it to himself to make yeah. a lich king that can think and act like her and this entire war is yet another example it's taking it a stage further yeah the plan's still going on nothing has changed the reason sylvanas had to come back from death was because she didn't serve his purposes dead why do you think there was an undead dragon right by the body of dalen proudmore mm-hmm. because guess what dalen proudmore's resurrection would do spark that war to an entirely different level or but more importantly these these people that are being chosen have qualities thoras trollbane was brought back because he had a quality of leadership that wasn't present in any of the other people that had been raised yep uh sally white main different even, even darian 
Yeah, Darian displayed in his last moments before he was brought back as a horseman that he was willing to sacrifice everything. Darian, actually, if you go back to how Darian died the first time, oh, he gave himself to save his father. Yeah. Darian brings with him self-sacrifice, which is completely unheard of to the undead. And even after just... he's dead and brought back as a death knight, he still carries that with him. It's something that he carries with him. It's like an innate part of Darian Mograin. And it's right up to that point where you're supposed to be bringing Tyrion back and Darian sends you through and stays behind. Like, Darian takes that hit. It's another moment of self-sacrifice. Like, that's what Darian brings to the table. But, I mean, it. like I said, there's like this weird sort of thing going on where it's it's almost like that. It's almost like that light and dark cycle of the Naru or the whole thing about the light and the void where, you know, there's there's one, there has to be the other. It, it's it's like this is just another part of that cycle being played in a really weird way. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I'm thinking about the whole idea of it being death trying to understand life which it can only do by watching life die because only in death can it grasp life because it is itself a dead thing, a death thing. But that's also would explain what's interest in, in Sylvanas because she's neither, right? She's that in-between state. She's yeah, outside but, the cycle. She's an anomaly. And despite she's what she says, hold, she's... Sorry, I was yeah, going to say... She's but, still, she still holds on to the emotional core. Mm -hmm, like yep. when you read War Crimes, yeah. Sylvanas still loves her sisters. There is still life in Sylvanas, even yeah. though she is dead. And that is a weird and, it, and probably potentially really fascinating thing to a thing that is essentially a creature of death. And go, back to, go back to when we've, we heard about how undead priests use the light. What does it do to them? Cauterizes them. Cauterizes them. It causes them extreme agony. They can do it, but it is painful. Sylvanas is doing that with her own memories. They cause her excruciating pain. They hurt so much that they make her feel alive because they are so agonizing. The love she felt for her sisters, the love she felt for um, Mr. No Jaw, who now has a jaw again. Nathanos. 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 She deliberately brought Nathanos back so that he'd always be there. And yeah, she likes his loyalty and he's a good servant, but she could have gotten a lot of Forsaken to be her loyal servant. And there's other Forsaken that could have been nearly as effective, or maybe even more But effective. he is dedicated on a level that none of them, but nobody also, else would be. He causes her to feel things. Yeah, it's, she, it's, a, it's an emotional decision from both ends. Right? She like, went looking for him. When she was raised, she went looking for him, and she found him, and she brought him back to something like cohesion. Even before she did the ritual and made him like actually have a face again, she's the one that she went and got him and forced him to think again because she wanted to have him there, even though it hurts. Anytime she remembers what it's like to be alive, it's agonizing for her. She said as much that it's painful that her people would be better off if they, if they gave up hope. But she doesn't. That's the thing. She doesn't give up hope, and that's what it needs. The death entity that started all this doesn't understand what hope is. But it it would also make Why sense did Sylvanas set Teldrassil on fire? What did Deller What did Deleron tell her? Like deliberately, what was that last line that Deleron told her? You can kill everyone, but you can't kill hope. And then she mm. torched the tree. But it would also make sense going back to like what Rossi's saying and, and what we've talked about before. 
of why the entity even wanted to make the deal with Odin in the first place, if this is all tied together, which is what better way to understand, you know, this ordered world than with a piece of the actual things that did the ordering. Like it's all like this one big amalgam of, of, of growing and understanding and becoming more, I don't necessarily know more powerful is the right word, but more realized, more, re- more realized, more fully formed, more, more present than it can be. And, and everything just seems like it's an extension of this, this sort of reach, this control too. Cause it's like for every thing brought under its controller observation, it seems to be able to affect more and go further and farther. So I, I like, I, I like where that's going. And that's, and it would explain why entities like Bon Samdi are involved. And why they don't understand what's going on, because this is beyond them. It also makes me kind of exceptionally worried about the future of Talia 4 Dragon for all that. Oh, okay, hold on a second, hold on a second. But it also, okay. So when you're doing the Vulgen quests, mm-hmm. what's the one thing that happens every step of the way? You're assaulted by creatures of death, shades. Mm-hmm that are trying to keep you from understanding what's going on. Like, but they're not undead. They're not Lich King stuff. They're not, you know, anything we've seen. They look a whole heck of a lot like those entities we saw in the shadow realm when we were doing the, uh, the death Knight stuff way back when, like, they look like shadow entities, not death entities. Like, and they're sitting there. We, he doesn't want you to remember it. You know, you, you are not doing what the master wants, blah, blah, blah. Which then begs the question of how the heck Vol'jin got back. And it would make sense that if he wants to observe Sylvanas, that that's what named her war chief through Vol'jin because it wanted to observe how she would react in this scenario. What better way than put her in charge of everything? Yeah. What better way to observe than by putting her... Because she was working pretty much in the shadows. So that thing stuck her in the spotlight. And it would explain the willingness of Helia to make that deal. Mm. Because if Helia has a deal in place with that same entity, the one that she brokered the deal with to begin with, with Odin, that would be, okay, yeah, sure, I'll give you this lantern that just creates all the, you know, that that binds the the Valkyr to your will. Sure, yeah, no problem. I'll give you this super uber powerful thing. And again, we don't know what was asked in return, but what if there wasn't anything asked in return? What if it was like, yeah, you know what? I don't want anything, but there's going to come a time where somebody else is going to want something, and then I'm going to cash in my chips. So I'm going to move on to the next email here, because the next email kind of involves the same sort of stuff, but from a completely opposing perspective. Um, So it's like the opposite viewpoint. Um, This is from Winterfell, who's a Worgen Frost Death Knight, of course. Very appropriate, Winterfell. uh, Who says, hello, watchers. I came across this theory on a lore forum, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. It basically conjectures that all the undead who have been subverted by Sylvanas, like the Valkyr, the Sand Lane, and even Lillian Voss, are actually covert agents of the Lich King, whose plan it is to surround her with his agents. At the right time, namely when she's alienated the Horde to the point where they'll no longer jump to her defense, those agents will pounce and try to reclaim her, along with perhaps other Forsaken who think like... Like her and would pose a similar threat to the living. Lillian's role in this is to monitor her and the Horde and choose the moment where they could move against her without having to start a conflict with the entire Horde. Maybe that's why Voss was in Scalamance. She was working as Bolvar's agent to eliminate a powerful loose end left over from the old Scourge that could undermine Bolvar's attempts to clamp down on the undead. Maybe that's why she could resist Gandling because she had Bolvar's power behind her. 
in this, Bolvar would actually be fulfilling his function of protecting the living from the undead. I'm not sold on this theory, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think this reading could explain some of his actions during Legion, as well as Battle for Azeroth? This is an interesting perspective, because it kind of flips everything into a reversal role. So I'm, I, I want to know what you guys think about that, Joe. So I'm not... 100% sold on it, but it is an interesting idea because one of the questions that I did have at the start of, of BFA is why is Lillian Voss working with Sylvanas? Like, what is the goal there? What is the, and, and throughout all the questing and all the interactions with her, she doesn't talk about why she's doing what she's doing. She just says she has her own there, reasons. There's, there's like some implications that maybe she's not 100% on board with everything that's going on, but she's there to watch. There's more than implications on, there's more than, more than a few implications that she's not on board with what's going on. But that she's I mean, but, there to watch. Sure. But of. she's also, but she's also acting, which is the weird thing, right? Like she's not just observing and she's not just doing the, the, the queen's bidding. So, yeah, I could see her having a completely different role, but I don't know about the whole time to take Sylvanas out to protect the living, because at the end of the day, she's going to be her own undoing when it comes to that anyway, at least in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Rossi? I don't buy that Lillian Voss works for anybody. I don't think she does, because I think mm -hmm. you have to look at her background. She was originally one of the Scarlet Crusade, and she fought as hard as she could against the undead. She was one of those fanatics that fought really hard against the undead. Did that make her a sympathetic character in the end? Yeah, it did kind of because she basically became her own worst enemy and had to reconcile that and, and deal with that. And it turned her into this person who was kind of set against the Forsaken, but also sent against set against the Scarlet Crusade because they pretty much, they had no sympathy for what happened to her, as far as they were concerned, she was undead now and she needed to die. And she didn't quite understand that either. So she was stuck in this sort of limbo space. But her actions have raised questions. Um, the stuff that went on in Scholomance kind of made sense. It was like, okay, so you're taking care of the undead and you're trying to eradicate that. That's what you were doing when you were living. So it makes sense that you're trying to do that you're still trying to fulfill that purpose for whatever reason. But then when she showed up in Legion, she seemed real loyal to, to Sylvanas when she showed up in Legion and it didn't make any sense. It didn't make mm -hmm. any sense maybe because it wasn't supposed to and she was putting up a front. I don't know. Yeah, I've never actually believed she's loyal to Sylvanas. No, not even close. Um, it it definitely felt like she was one of the, the characters your rogue dealt with, right? Yeah. She played a rogue oh, yeah. in Legion. Yeah. Um, so I honestly don't, I don't feel she's loyal to like that rogue faction either. I don't, I think that she, Lillian Voss uses people to serve her own agenda. I think Lillian she was Voss far more, Voss. I think she was far yeah. more genuinely loyal to the rogue organization than she ever was yeah, or ever but, will be to Sylvanas. That rogue organization was basically a group of like-minded people who are trying to keep the world from getting killed and don't trust anybody else to not yeah, screw which, it up. Which sounds like totally yeah. something Lillian Voss would be on board with because she doesn't trust yeah. anybody else not to screw it up. And so to me, Lillian Voss in, in Battle for Azeroth is working with the Horde because she knows the Alliance would never in a million years accept her. They're and not honestly, gonna... the person she's working with the most over there is Rexar, which makes the most amount of sense as far as I'm concerned. Because he's also very much similar in that regard, where it's like he doesn't necessarily agree with what's going on all the time either, and 
push comes to shove, he would be more for the greater good than the other stuff. But in terms of like what she's doing and what she's doing it for, I don't believe for a second that the Lich King of all people is going to offer Lillian Voss anything that she'd want. That's yeah. That's my sticking yeah. point. Is like that's like where and when this... would she ever have had any contact with Bolvar Four Dragon or the Lich King? Well, plus, I mean, this theory ultimately breaks down to it'd be like you telling me that Lex Luthor is secretly working for Superman. Like what? The she's working for the guy who turned her into this? Because I mean, granted, Bolvar isn't the guy that turned her into this, but he's wearing but, the hat. Yeah, he is currently the head of the Scourge, the group that did it. And actually, no, she she's a Cataclysm character, isn't she? Yep. Yeah, she was raised by the Val by Sylvanas's Valkyr. So she she doesn't have any reason to like Bolvar. Certainly, um, she also doesn't really have a reason to like Sylvanas. I mean, her there's original no grudge, connection there. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no now the idea that the Lich King could show up and offer like he'd be like you know sir join me and you'll I'll do X or Y. The only thing I could see him saying that would work would be and I'll raise you as a living creature. And he can't do that. That's not in his swing set. So. The other th- the other thing that this posits though is ne- not necessarily that he made a deal with her per se, but that like the Lich King is still currently in control of essentially all of the undead that are out there. But if that was the case, then he would have control over Sylvanas, and this wouldn't be an issue. Well, no, no, that's uh, he could theoretically have control of some of those people and not sure. still have control of Sylvanas. Because keep in mind that the Sand Lane weren't never really under control as such. He wasn't just brute force controlling them. Uh, the the previous Lich King had an, an eye towards servants that would serve him out of loyalty. He wanted them because the more free thinking undead servants he had, the stronger he was. He doesn't actually gain keep in mind power. That there are, keep in mind that there are layers to the Lich King's control too. Yeah. Cause that power mm-hmm. surge thing is something that's built up over time. Ner'zhul was over on the frozen throne in that ice cube for a pretty long time before his reach extended to the point where he could find agents in Lordaeron. Yeah, keep in mind too that he also had to fight a war with spider people, though. I know there's like yeah, a, there, but there's like levels of of control yeah. as far as the Lich King is concerned. First, it's just, the mindless because the mindless are easy to control. Once you've got the mindless under control, you can start working on everybody else. But you have well, to I be also... really surreptitious about it, and you have to be really. It requires a delicate touch. I think it also boils down to, though, that like if you have people that are working for you out of loyalty versus coercion, you don't have to expend your power on it. And we don't know necessarily what the limit of the Lich King's power is. And and definitely, I I think in terms of Bolvar, Bolvar is a canny person and he'd know when, you know, people who people who are intelligent, they're better at doing things for you. Like if you have to control every step of what someone does, then they're just, it's just like you're dealing with it. You're having to micromanage everything. Bolvar, again, we pointed out he's a general. Bolvar, and if you played Alliance, Bolvar knew from having hung out with you that having somebody around who's smart and willing to take on tasks and just complete them and you don't have to micromanage that person, it worked out pretty well for him. You stopped Anixia for him. You helped stop, uh, you know, you know, Thulzan, the the Darthbringer, you know, he helped, but, you know, having you around worked. He's going to want to have that. So I could see him possibly trying to make a deal with the Sand Lane. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think Blood Queen Lanithel is coming back. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, She's not not done. uh, There's a a quest coming in 815 for the 
tr- the tricks of the trade quests okay. that involves her. So well, we're not, not going to go talk too about far it, into spoilers, but I, yeah. the, spoil- the quest is not actually she doesn't come back in that quest, but it, I believe it sets the stage. I believe she's coming back. I think a lot of these these characters, um, it's possible they're working for Bolvar, but I also think it's possible that they're not. Especially the Sand Lane. The Sand Lane are opportunistic grabbers. Mm-hmm. They they became the Sand Lane in the first place because they didn't want to just lay down and die for for uh, for uh, Kelthos. They wanted to keep going after he'd you know taken off. So they made a deal. There's there's layers here. I, I do think that's possible. I, I'm not rejecting this theory out of hand, but Lillian Voss for me is the sticking point. I don't think she'd work for anybody. Yeah, I agree. I think that in the end, what Lillian Voss does is what she thinks is best for Lillian Voss. I just think that. I still think that Voss is somebody to keep an eye on because, again, there's just something about the way that Lillian interacts with people that are being raised as Forsaken throughout the course of the expansion. If you watch her during the war campaign, like, she'll she'll bring the bodies and, and. you know, they will be raised from the dead or whatever, but it's Lillian that's there and explaining to them what is happening to them and explaining to them that they can't go back and treating them with a compassion that we haven't really seen in Sylvanas or anybody really on the Forsaken side beyond like the characters in Before the Storm. You know, you had the ones that all got wiped out. The ones that got wiped out. Lillian seems to be of the same mindset, where it's like there's some lingering compassion there, and that's one thing that Sylvanas just does not have. You know who Lillian reminds me of? That's an established character who is also a rogue. Who's that? Valeria Sanguinar. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. They kind of they're gonna have that thing where it's more about them personally, and I think Lillian understands in a way most people don't the trauma of being turned into this thing of, of coming up out of the ground and being dead and yet still moving and having your body be this rotting thing and under, you know, in a way that even the other forsaken don't, because they don't hold on to their before as much, but Lillian did. Lillian came out of the ground, remembering exactly who she was and holding on to all of it. And so it's worse. It's worse for her because she knows what she lost. And I think in a way she is like, there's this weird triumvirate with her, Sylvanas, and um, Kalia Menethil, where of the three, I think Lillian Voss is the one who understands most what it is actually like to be Forsaken. You know, the the other two, Sylvanas is more about her experience, what she went through, and Kalia is trying to understand, but she never, she's never actually had the experience. And it's kind Lillian of interesting has. that you say that because Lillian wasn't technically a for well, she's like second generation Forsaken. She wasn't there at the onset, but she does kind of represent everything that Sylvanas was presenting back in the day when she was getting everybody together. Um, and, and she kind of represents that whole, she encapsulates that whole tragic circumstance surrounding these people where they can't go back and they're kind of stuck where they are and they have to deal with it. The Lillian, Sylvanas that used to say, what are we if not slaves to this torment? Lillian is actually kind of an answer to that. She's like, we can, we can help each other. We can be we better. Can get each other through it. Yeah. Not even better, but like when you're dealing with the, the war campaign and she's like telling that, that, um, water, I can't remember the storm speaker, water speaker, whatever the guy's name is. Um, she's sage. telling him the tide sage. tide sage. Thank you. She's telling him, you know, no, that this isn't your, your family's not going to want to see you. They're not, I will make sure they're taken care of, but they're, they're not gonna, they're not going to be happy. 
Yeah, it's not going to go like you think it's going to go. Yeah, this is going to be. And he runs painful. off, and she lets him run off, but she's there. He has to see it. Yeah, he's he there. She's it. there. Yeah. Once he experiences it for himself, she's there to kind of prop him up afterwards and tell him, "Look, this is what I told you. This is this is what's happening." And and the thing is, is like that's I think that's what Lillian offers that Sylvanas does not, because Sylvanas, when everything came about for from that whole situation and before the storm where they proposed that whole meeting of the minds where where forsaken would reach out you know from from the council they would they would be able to meet people from their past and reconnect and they were pretty clear that this might not go well or it might go okay we don't know but we want to find out sylvanas is sylvanas the only thing that she had to say about it was this is never going to work these people don't like you and they're going to turn you away. And I don't know why you even want to experience this because this is exactly what's going to happen. And the second that started to not happen is when Sylvana snapped and, and had everyone taken out. Lillian, on the other hand, is like, she will lay it out for you and tell you, look, this is likely what's going to happen. But <laughs> if it, if it, if it happens, she's the one that's there to kind of like pick you up afterward afterwards and she she did that with like everybody that's that's the thing is like Lillian in Battle for Azeroth is very different Lillian than the one that we saw in Legion because the one that we saw in Legion was very gung-ho about oh yeah rah rah the Forsaken which made me think that observing everything that I've observed with her in Battle for Azeroth so far that what we saw in Legion was a front that she was putting on just to you know demonstrate her loyalty and make sure that she could get close so she could watch and she could see what was going on like it was a display of loyalty without really being loyalty yeah you know i think what I mean? to a degree i think the interesting thing here is that i think what we're we're kind of arguing circles around is the idea that Lillian voss might be loyal to the forsaken as people yeah she's not loyal to the forsaken as a political entity no, she's not loyal to Sylvanas. Windrunner. There's a personal connection there that's that's not there yeah. with Sylvanas. I have experienced this, and it almost broke me. I know how painful it is. I know it in a way that Sylvanas can't, because Sylvanas won't let herself feel it. Sylvanas isn't dead. She's she's a rotting corpse, same as the rest of them, but she's not dead because she won't let herself be dead. She won't let go of any of it. And even when she was like scourge per se uh-huh. she wasn't even a rotting corpse back then she was like a spirit ripped from the body like yeah but, as a banshee she was never she was never even like that but i i specifically mean that one thing that lillian has done that sylvanas died. has not yeah lillian has not just died she's let go she she killed her own father she's let go of the life she had she had to let go of it sylvanas has not sylvanas can't so in a way Sylvanas is more outside the cycle than anybody. Lillian said to herself at some point, it's over. I'm not that person anymore. I'm not his daughter. I'm not the Scarlet Crusader. I'm not the destroyer of undead because I can't be. That life is gone. And I'm this now. And you see that. You see that in the quests in this expansion. Sylvanas is not let go. Sylvanas talks a great game, but in the end... Oh, I just got a good thing. Okay. Go. Sylvanas still has hope, and it's killing her, and she hates it. And she wants it dead, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's why she reacted so violently to what Delarin said. 
because she wasn't thinking about like the hope of the world she was thinking about her own internal hopes that her life someday would be normal that's it like that's yeah. that's just what it boils down to Sylvanas hates the hope that she carries in her heart but she can't get rid of it it's always going to be yeah. it, 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 it's all going it's it's always going to be there and she hates it look at the uh the three sisters and i know we're running late so no it's oh. okay it's it's fine this is a good look, no look we're, the, we're we're good look, <laughs> look at the three sisters comic when she's confronted by Alaria and and Verisa, and she's got people ready to kill both of them yep, all, they're just waiting all Verisa had to do was say i'm sorry i shouldn't have done this and she, you know Savannah's outward appearance doesn't change but inside, suddenly everything is different and she won't kill them. Because that because, hope is still there. Yeah, that little crumb. The crumb from Verisa. Just a little, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it this way. And it's like, it's the worst thing in the world for her. Like, every time she sees them, it's the worst thing in the world. And now she's got both of them around. When Illyria comes into the, into the Undercity and is spitting fire at her, she's droll about it. She doesn't spit fire back. She doesn't get angry back. She's just, hello, sister. You know, it's it's fascinating to watch because this is somebody... Anduin Rin is not Sylvanas' enemy because Sylvanas cannot have an enemy that isn't worthy of her. And she doesn't see anybody as worthy of her, except her. She is the only person that she hates. The rest of them are just in the way. Anduin is just an obstacle. He's not... There's no animus there. She kind of respected his father. Yeah, but now she wants to make him bend knee before the throne. Like, that, yeah, that's... But that's not because he's a, you know what I mean? Like Varian could have been an actual enemy. Varian she could have hated because he was worth hating. And she doesn't feel that way about Anduin yet. It could change. He could make himself enough of a problem that she'll hate him. What but, is Anduin so but the embodiment of hope? Yeah, that could certainly do it. But right now, it's like if you ever read, I know I'm getting weird here, but T.S. Eliot's Hamlet and his problems, he talks about how yeah. Hamlet, Hamlet hates Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And that's why he doesn't kill Claudius as soon as he can. He doesn't want, he doesn't view Claudius as his, his threat. The problem is Hamlet. Hamlet hates Hamlet. Hamlet is self-defeating. Sylvanas hates Sylvanas. She hates that part of her that won't let go. She hates all, all the stuff she tries to warn them about in before the storm. She's like, no, they'll reject you. They'll turn on you. You can't go back. That's her experience. Mm-hmm. That's her life she's telling them about. And when some of them start actually getting accepted, can you imagine what that felt like? She hates that part of herself, and that part of herself is reflected in every living creature on Azeroth. It just got all existential up in here. Anyway, yeah, we are running over a little bit, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, Again, if you guys have questions for the podcast surrounding uh, patch 8.1.5 or you know anything else for that matter you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com be sure you put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience um and for you guys listeners of blizzard watch audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service they have a lot of books available um i know we've been talking pretty intently about before the storm 
Um, there's also Arthas. I don't know if Arthas is available just yet, but it will be available soon if it isn't already. And Christy Golden, I believe, is narrating that one as well. So that should be a good thing to pick up. You can download those as your free audiobook for your free 30-day trial. Um, there's a bunch of other Blizzard titles on there as well. Rise of the Horde, Lord of the Clans just got re-released, which was pretty great too. You can choose one of those. You can choose one of Audible's thousands of other titles. Just go to blizzardwatch.com audible and sign up there. It'll help support the show and everything that we do. Okay, final thoughts. Has the stuff that we've discussed today changed your opinion on Sylvanas at all? And do you think it should, Joe? No, I think I'm pretty solid in my my view of her as a predominantly horde player. Um, that said, I think that today, if nothing else, should serve as a catalyst for people to reevaluate possibly how they view it from outside the horde, because I think it'll be important in the next coming weeks, months, as far as how the story is going to unravel. Rossi, what about you? I've always thought Sylvanas was a very complex character. Uh, I don't know how you could look at her and not say that she's got a ton going on. You can, I think she should, you know, if you're an Alliance player, she needs to be destroyed. Because if you don't destroy her, she's going to destroy you. There's, they're very, I don't see very many ways out of this expansion. I almost think the same is applicable for the Horde at this point. Oh, it's absolutely applicable for the Horde. yeah. But the Horde, I really feel like you could actually come to some kind of peace with the living members of the Horde. But Sylvanas, as long as Sylvanas is in a position of power, I don't know that you can. Because the thing you just pointed out, everything living reminds her of what she's lost. Eventually, she's going to turn on the Horde, too. She's already started to to. do it. Yeah, she has to. And it's... To me, Sylvanas is a much more interesting character because the stuff she's doing, she's doing for reasons that have been set up all along. She's not doing this stuff. People, When people were saying, oh, this is completely out of character, I was like, no, this has never been out of character. She isn't what you think she is. And she isn't what I think she is. What she is changes because she's trying to come to terms with something. If she were a weaker person, she'd be much better off. But this is the person who became the youngest ranger general in existence. She replaced her mother upon her mother getting slaughtered. She stepped up when her older sister showed no sign of wanting the job and defended her people at one of the worst times in their history. And she was strong enough willed to tell the king and his son to their faces, I will put anyone I damn well want in these rangers and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. And put a human in there. She's the person that, when fighting Arthas Menethil, only lost because one of her own people betrayed her. And then what did he do? She was such a pain that he tore her out of her body and forced her to be a a banshee. And she still managed to maintain some semblance of self to go find that body, to raise it up and live in it again, even though it was dead and she wasn't living anything. This is a person who, it's her strength of will that's destroying her. The tragedy of Sylvanas Windrunner is that she is probably one of the best people who ever lived on Azeroth, and thus she can't endure what she's become. And she can't let it go? Nope. She can't be beaten. Arthas didn't beat her. He got around her. He couldn't beat her. So a follow-up to the follow-up question, to the final thought question, um, and I feel like maybe we should answer this at the same time. Um, 
Is Sylvanas Windrunner just a clone of Garrosh Hellscream? Answer it all together. Ready? One, two, three. No. No. <laughs> no Listen, if, if, if you're out there, if anybody's out there making that claim, meet me in the parking lot at three o'clock. We're gonna have some words. It. This is this is a different. This is such a level of different. Anyway, um, I'm really excited to see where Battle for Azeroth goes, but more importantly, I'm really excited to see what happens after, because I feel like we're going to get Wrath of the Lich King Part 2 at some point here, and it's probably going to be miles and miles and miles scarier than Wrath of the Lich King was originally. Um, uh -huh. I'm, I'm here for it. I am so here for it. Bring it on. Okay. Uh, that wraps us up. Again, guys, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. <laughs>